I figured out how best to convey information. And I always like to assume that my audience doesn't know, which is why they have come to me to find out. I'm always ready to hear that I'm wrong and I'm ready to have that discussion, but at the end of the day, I am serving a role as critic. I wish very much that we could incorporate into our mentality that Magic the Gathering can have a digital presence and a paper presence, and that these two aspects need not be exclusionary. Hello, and welcome to Humans and Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. This is episode 65 with The Professor. The Professor runs Tolarian Community College, which is the biggest MTG YouTube channel on the planet. It covers a range of topics from product reviews to The Professor speaking out about the current issues in the MTG community. Regardless of the topic, you can always find The Professor Speaks His Mind. He is down to the bone, genuine. And that is what we try to do in this conversation. We try to focus on his creative process, his motivation, and everything in between. There are quite a few personal sharings and revelations. Before we get the party started, let's talk a bit about our sponsors. Humans and Magic is sponsored by ChannelFireball.com. ChannelFireball is the place to get your magic singles and product. Now that Theros Beyond Death is out, you can find the best strategy articles, videos, and podcasts related to the newest expansion set. So go check out channelfireball.com for the best product and the best strategy. Humans and Magic is also sponsored by Cardboard Live. Cardboard Live helps you take your magic storytelling to the next level. We have just added support for Hover Over Cards with the Theros Beyond Death expansion for Magic Arena. And we're working on a bunch of exciting things on the horizon. So if you want into the Arena Beta program, just email james at cardboard.live and we'll get you all set up. And I would be remiss if I did not mention the music that is being used on this podcast. The music on the podcast is produced and created by Kupla. That's K-U-P-L-A. Kupla is a very talented musician, creating sick beats for relaxing and really doing anything to his music can be found anywhere that you find music, including on Spotify and SoundCloud. So definitely go check out Kupla and give him a follow on Twitter at Kupla Sound. That's K-U-P-L-A-S-O-U-N-D. Last but not least, if you are a fan of this podcast, I would strongly recommend that you sign up for the Humans and Magic mailing list. The mailing list provides exclusive content and includes a few preview chapters of my Humans and Magic book. To sign up for the mailing list, all you have to do is go to humansandmagic.com. And as a bonus to signing up, you will also be entered into a monthly draw to win a copy of the Humans and Magic book, which compiles 12 of my best interviews in text format. So once again, please join the mailing list at humansandmagic.com. Thank you. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with the professor.
Hello, everybody. Today, I am here with the creator of Tolarian Community College. I am here with the professor. Oh, hello. Thanks for having me, James. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing really well. It's another beautiful day up here in the Pacific Northwest. I've had my coffee, and now I'm sitting down with a cool person to talk Magic the Gathering. Uh, It's hard not to be doing well in that situation. I know that you've been in... Portland, Oregon for a little bit of time. It's been, what, a year and a half, two years? Yeah, going on about a year and a half to two years now. Uh, It was a big move from, I was previously in one of, if not the most expensive places on planet Earth, the San Francisco Bay Area. And I moved up here both for work reasons and also because it was time for a change, but largely because it was just unaffordable in that area. And I love it up here. I, I just absolutely absolutely love where I am now. Tell me what parts of the city you love. Is it the, just tell me a little, share a little bit of that. Well, what I like about Portland in particular is that it's a city and you have all the benefits or what I see, I heard the benefits of a city, which is there's uh, lots of great food, lots of great drink, great museums and arts and culture, but it isn't this giant impacted uh, city in the way that like San Francisco, which everything is fit into seven miles by seven miles, or New York City, where it, it's so hard to get around and stuff like that, where actually I can hop in my car and drive 15 minutes and actually cross the bridge and be on the other side of the water. And in San Francisco, you know, if I wanted to cross the bridge into Oakland, that could take an hour and a half. So I, I really like that in some ways it has the best of both worlds. I can have a lot of the benefits of city living, but also some of the benefits of a more small town feel. Uh, I walk around my neighborhood, neighbors smile and say hello, and people are very friendly. And so I really like that I I have that mix. And it's also a great town for gaming. Gaming is huge out here. It feels like you can't go three feet without another game store. I see people playing games in all the bars and restaurants. It's huge gaming town, a lot of choices, a lot of diversity of really great places to be able to go get some games, especially Magic the Gathering. So again, I feel, you know, like I'm home. That's great. And have you settled on a Magic... LGS are there several oh yeah there there's there's a lot I don't want to like I, I couldn't even name them all and I feel bad like naming a few and leaving others out I, I think the two ends of the spectrum at least near me uh, right now are uh, uh, there's a, a large place called Guardian Games giant kind of uh, game store they've got everything every board game you could imagine they have on the shelves. They have giant events, stuff going on all the time. And then on the other end of the spectrum is something like I like to call, refer to as like gamer dens, where it's a little smaller, it's a more intimate. And that's actually usually like my kind of preference, my old LGS in San Francisco. And if anybody's in the San Francisco Bay Area, go on down to Anime Imports. It's technically in Pacifica, but it's five minute drive. And it's that's where I grew up, as it were, in terms of Magic the Gathering. I mean, I was in my 30s, but still fantastic place. And uh, there's a place here in Portland called Portland Game Store that I really like and uh, go into. And it's one of those places where you're a lot less anonymous. So at Guardian, if you're at Guardian, like, I mean, I attended a pre-release at each and at Guardian, you can be like, wow, there must be like 75 people here or some huge number. And you're kind of in a sea. And that's awesome. That's a great energy. And then at Portland Game Store, you sit down and people walk in and everyone's like, hey, James, 
how you doing? Because they know each other and they have more intimate, you know, events and uh, a little more emphasis on the community of the game store, which not to say that a large store like Guardian doesn't have its own community. It's just a different type. And I really like both. Uh, and there's 15 other game stores in the city. Uh, my sponsor, Card Kingdom, is is coming as well and opening up a location here. So I'm excited. I might be able to work out some regular, like, come play pre-release and popper with the Professor, Pioneer, other P-starting names of Magic the Gathering work very well. So it's it's a big gaming city. There's a lot of room and it's beautiful. Food is amazing. Drink is amazing. The people are the best part of all of that. And when you go to your gaming stores, do you just get absolutely mobbed because you're the professor? It depends. I think that when I walk into a store for the first time, if an event is going on and there's a large crowd, uh, I mean, yeah, I get recognized. I don't want to say mobbed. That's a bit of an exaggeration. But uh, definitely... I can feel a little overwhelmed sometimes. Uh, If I go into a game store when an event isn't going on, it might be a little more casual where people will be like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? And maybe I'm visiting in a town or I'm just like, I like to go check out game stores like crazy. And I'm like, oh, I'm just driving around. I'm I'm in Portland now, but I'm not from this part of town. But I, I, I thought I'd poke my head in and see. And it's usually just like, hey, nice to meet you. I find that when I start playing regularly at a place that, uh, like when I moved, especially, I mean, in back in San Francisco at Anime Imports, I, I mean, they knew me before I had a YouTube channel. <laughs> so yeah, I remember like, yeah. yeah, I mean, I dragged, I dragged uh, uh, Jimmy and Josh up to a couple pre-releases at Anime. And I remember walking in and, you know, my, my friends or, you know, folks that I knew from the, the game store, you know, Jimmy Wong walks in and, and they're like, oh my God, I love, you know, video game high school. Hey, can I, I, I have your, you know, autograph or a selfie. And then I'd be like, how come you never ask for my autograph or a selfie? And they're like, I know who you are. You know, like, like they come, I come over to your house for, I don't need your thing, but that's Jimmy Wong. And, and so it's, it's like, I think that once people get to know you, they can relax a little bit more. And it's just like, magic's nice because it's not, we're niche still, despite what, what like Watsi wishes we were. We're niche enough that like even someone after a few minutes, it's like, oh, okay, it's it's just a guy. You know, it's 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 just a guy and hopefully he's rad. And I'd like to think I'm rad. I try and be that. And and at the end of the day, it's just, okay, cool. Do you want to, it just turns into, do you want to get a game? And yeah, let's get a game. That's That's my motto is, you want to get a game? Let's get a game. And, 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 or let's talk about magic. And it's not this big, like, all right, so you can't make eye contact with me or whatever kind of thing that like real celebrities have. Cause I'm not that it's, it's not anything like that. Uh, I've never had any bad incidents with people coming up with fans, whether at a GP or a magic store. I mean, I, I, I think that speaks a lot more to the community. People are cool. People like magic. They just want to play magic. That's just what we want. We just want to play. Has there been anything unexpectedly fun or unusual, like in terms of any interactions you've had in Portland so far with people in in a store, let's say? Yeah, what 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 really surprised me. So I, I recently shaved my head for charity, and uh, it was actually though when I moved up to Portland for the first time, and I was still establishing what is now my office, and I didn't even have. Uh, a home for my family, and so I was staying at a in a motel room and stuff, like, and I got like the cheapest one possible because I'm like going to be up there for like a week, so I don't want to be paying like a hundred dollars a night for Holiday Inn. So I was at 
you know, this motel on the corner of Crack and Alley or something like that. <laughs> I mean, it was just, this was like, I was nervous. I, I found like some $13 a night motel room on the outskirts of Portland, seriously. And and it was just, it was really bad. And and I'm looking around trying to find a property to, you know, like, like that will be suitable for my office. I, I My wife and kid are still in San Francisco and I, I got to worry about getting them up here and where we're going to live then. And I'm doing all this and I my hair is down to my shoulders and it was this huge heat wave, right? In Portland that year, there was the fires in California made it worse. And I felt so gross. And I was walking down the street at night and this barber shop opened up and it said shave and a and I didn't have my my toiletries with me, so I hadn't shaved. And it said shave and a haircut, 40 bucks or whatever. And it sounded so refreshing. And I walked in and I said, shave and a haircut, I'll take it. And they said, do you want a beer with that? Yeah, oh yeah, I'll take a beer. They gave me some hipster beer. Sat down and a, a, a very lovely alt punk style lady came out and gave me a, a haircut didn't shave my head at that time but gave me a haircut and and gave me a shave and I felt great but I also had a, a pretty short haircut from my usual long hair and if you look on my videos I think it was the review of Commander 2018 where you'll see like whoa his hair got really short there and I thought it was like the shortest I'd ever had it in a long time and I walk out of the barber and into a bar and I order a beer and I sit down, I'm in a t-shirt, not my suit, I'm in a t-shirt, I just got my hair cut, just got my face shaved, and a guy walks up and says, excuse me, professor, I just want to say how much I love your channel. And I'm just sitting in the dark, too, like, this is this dark, like, little craft brew bar pub thing, and it's, it's I'm on the corner of the bar, it just walks right up, and then, you know, then I, and I'm all, oh, wow, like, you recognize me? He goes, yeah, yeah, I recognize you. And, 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 then I, and then the next thing he says is, we're playing Commander, do you want to get a Commander game? And that, to me, is just, I loved it, and it was just like this is wonderful, uh, and and that was definitely a surprise, but also a delight. Wow, that that is wonderful. I, I would definitely say that you do have celebrity. It's it's perhaps a local type of celebrity that's only within gaming or magic, but it still very much is. So I, I would definitely not discount that at all. Sure, sure. It's a I I I have a little bit of trouble often, like accepting and embracing that a little bit. I don't like to even think about it on those terms too much. Uh, maybe it's some esteem issues that I might uh, uh, have or just wanting to keep it real. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think of myself as like, I, I, if, I, if I refer to myself as quote unquote celebrity, I feel like I'm joking. It doesn't seem like that. I, I, people know who I am, but that's kind of, that's, that's, that's that. Right. Or I should maybe say that it's only something that you are able to use to spread the message of magic that you love, right? And, and your yes. viewpoints, because it's really just a tool to facilitate something. Celebrity, and I believe this very strongly, celebrity in, in and of itself, it doesn't really mean anything. Or, or it's ultimately meaningless. It's really just yeah. what you do with that, right? Whether you're doing it for a good cause, shaving your head to promote awareness for some kind of other cause, or to be honest about certain messages uh, as it pertains to magic. I think that's actually the important thing, more so than I have X amount of followers or something like that. Yes, yes. And uh, these days with, with YouTube, the number of uh, subscribers you have doesn't necessarily mean the number of views you have. Luckily, my views do hold up and such. But I, I guess I view it more that way. It's like audience is... I, I really view it much more as like I am more 
I was about to say, like, I have the audience and I can send the message to them, but in a lot of ways, I feel like they send the message to me and my videos reflect that message. And so I, I, I very much disagree when people say I shape the community because I feel that the community shapes me and my videos are a reflection of what I see and feel in the community. And yeah, I definitely have some, a few in particular, where maybe my own opinion and emotion kind of showed, but I largely think that it's a reflection uh, and a reaction to what is going on in the community. I think you had mentioned in a previous Q&A of yours that you're very good at distilling information to really distill things and put it into a 10-minute video or a coherent narrative that people can then understand. I think Cube or Vintage or something like that, where right, you, right. you were able to take these resources, like they're all there on the internet or somewhere, but you're very good at breaking it down and, and putting it into a, a package, as it were. Yes, that that's one thing. I, I that's one thing I'm I I'll, I will take some credit for. That's one of the only things I'll take credit for is that I, I mean I think it's my professorial skills. When you're teaching, for example, freshman composition, I did not invent the methodology and the technique and 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 the rules of how to organize a paragraph properly that I am teaching my class. But I was very good at taking that information from the textbooks from other people's lectures, from basically the world of writing, and then present that in a 45-minute class or something like that. And and I feel that that applies to my YouTube channel, which is Tolarian Community College, where I do dive into all the vastness of, of just information that's out there on Cube and how to build a cube and take that and apply it to, okay, well, how do I present 10 minutes, as you say, for someone who doesn't know even what a cube is? So what is a cube? How do you build a cube? What are the most, and I ask myself, well, what are the questions that someone who doesn't know what a cube is going to ask? And, and I feel that that's what often gets left out is in magic with a lot of material that I see, people assume that you know what you're talking about. And they might say, so you'll play this card and then you know how that goes. And it's like, well, wait, no, I don't know how that goes. What does that card even do? And I always like to assume that my audience doesn't know, which is why they have come to me to find out. And and uh, so to be able to take all of that and distill it in a 10 to 15 minute long video teaching you how to build a cube or how to take a cube you have and upgrade it to an intermediate level or an advanced level, which I have all three of those. Yeah, that I definitely think I'm good at, but I didn't come up with what a cube is. I didn't invent the format and and I certainly you know didn't perfect it. What I did was I figured out how best to convey information about that subject. And when I'm testing a product, I feel that's the same way too, is I feel like anybody could take these deck boxes and sit down with them for several weeks, play with them and use them and see the same. F I'm not like you'd never have spotted that the lid falls off every time. Of course you would have. And I, I'm not like you'd never have spotted that this is excellent quality. And, and, and yeah, you would have. And But I'm able to say, all right, well, how do I demonstrate that? How do I show that? How do I explain that? And so that's what I do think I, I have some degree of talent uh, in and, and, and what I like to be able to offer in my videos. How long were you a professor for before you got into content creation full-time? Well, before I got into uh, uh, content creation full-time would be uh, over a decade. I had been teaching for a decade 
when I started the channel, but I started the channel as a hobby. And I went from hobby to part-time job to full-time job uh, over the course of, I think, the first four years, three to four years of the channel. Those were the stages. Hobby to part-time, I think you... Uh, oh God, I don't have it in front of me, but I think you can roughly break it down as first year, it was just a hobby. Second year, it became like a part-time job. It wasn't at end of the third year, going into fourth year, I believe, is when it became full-time. And uh, uh, that was kind of the process. But yeah, I mean, I started teaching in grad school, where I was given freshman comp classes to teach as I pursued my master's. What did you study for your master's? Creative writing. I uh, well, it's it's almost it's almost a degree, uh, uh, and a, a master's in creative writing. It's almost a subject. Um, I wanted to be a writer. I always was an artistic creator, but I also wanted to have a job, and so I went to college so that just in case the book didn't sell, which it didn't, uh, I would have some kind of a fallback position. And I actually found surprisingly to me at the time that I loved teaching. I didn't expect to. I just thought of it as like, well, at least you can teach. But when they put me in the teacher training program through the uh, rhetoric and composition uh, department was the uh, people in charge of it. And I also found a bit of a love for ret comp as well. But when they put me in the teacher training, I found I really loved it and I got to perform you know, I was a very passionate teacher when over the, I would read out sections from the story and really get into it and enunciate. And I would be like, no, Victor said he will rise. He will rise and this. And I, and you know, like sometimes students would be snickering because I was not quite standing up on my desk saying, you know, like, like, like carpe diem, but I, I, I did want it to be interesting and engaging. And I, I felt that, that my role was to, you know, make it that, that you, I don't believe you can make a student motivated to, to learn that I do believe that's on them, but if they are motivated, then that's up to me to, to treat that motivation with respect and, and energy. And I hated when I would see these low energy, just dead inside teachers who would come in and just be like, read page 43, whatever. And, you know, I, I really gave it my all uh, uh, in my lectures and my discussions and such. And I loved it. And I did it for 10 years before uh, the YouTube channel came about. That's really interesting because to me, it sounds like it's sort of the foundational element to your later career and career now as a content creator. Even from that point in time, you were thinking about how do I make this engaging for my audience where the audience is actually your students, right? Right. And that's, you know, that translates, which is interesting because the last people who on this planet can make interesting YouTube videos are college professors. They, you know, like, like not to generalize, but oh my God, uh, uh, this is not, we are not seeing like really, and we should be, but we're not really seeing engaging, entertaining, catching like wildfire videos on education coming out of academia. And actually, that really should be happening. I should be seeing top-level university professors producing content about literary analysis or geology or, 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 or any subject that is this like get spark people's interest, but it just doesn't happen. But I do think that I applied those things to the YouTube lifestyle where I do need to make it interesting. And I have said that a few times to people where sometimes 
I do have a, a few critiques of like you being a little sensationalist here or you're you're generalizing here or being broad and I'm like well I, I don't I don't want to be that but I do also have to be entertaining right. I, I had someone say to me like like just doing dunks on Wizards of the Coast I think it was someone from Wizards of the Coast who said you sure dun- dunking you know at a party and says you sure like to dunk on us mm-hmm. and I was like what you know give me an example and I'm like okay that's you know that's a joke uh, I get it, and I can see why that would irritate you. I, I, I'm not saying, you know, like, toughen up. Like, I get it. That's fair. But at a certain point, I do need a womp-womp, you know, in a video, and it's not always at Wizards of the Coast. I do a lot of womp-womps at me. I like to make fun of myself. Those are my favorite jokes or self-deprecating. I've noticed that definitely, yeah, over the years. Yeah, I, I like self-deprecating humor because no one's a victim, uh, at least no one that matters. Ba-dum-bump. See, that's self-deprecating. Uh, 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 what happens, though, when the laughter stops? Uh, but, I, you know, there are elements where, yeah, I mean, I, I do have to make the thumbnails something you want to click on. I don't want to... I have to find that balance, but there is an entertainment factor to content creation, and I do have a mindfulness of that in that, and I like to think of it in the same level as when I was passionately reading those stories in class or or like a student would start to timidly raise their hand and say, well, I don't know if this is right, but it seems like the brother is being very selfish here, even though he's claiming not to be. And I'd be like, yes, yes, you're right. And I'd jump, I'd run across the room and I'd be like, you've got it, you've got it. This is, you know, and I'd be like, this is great. Keep going, keep going. I'd run up to the chalkboard and I'd start scribbling what they're saying. And I'm and then I'd go, did you all hear that? I hope you all heard that. What he said is right on the money. And, and then I'd elaborate and, and it's like, you know, I'd, I'd pump up that energy, and I, it's like, I don't think that there was a falsehood in what I was doing in the classroom. That was called me being lively, and I want to be lively in my YouTube videos, which, ironically, sometimes my being lively is me jokingly being a boring, you know, burnt-out academic as a joke, but, like, the joke, I think, is important. I think the the engagement with the audience is important. They're coming to have a good time as well as learn and 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 have some joy, and I want to be able to provide that as well. Yeah, for sure. Did you have professors of your own as you were a student that really inspired you? Or was it more of a, you know, they're all pretty bad and I just want to be the opposite of that? Yeah, that was what it was. Uh, I had the worst. Prof- I, 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 I did not even get along with my colleagues for the most part when I was a professor. Uh, they were very prone to this is how we do it for, you know, and, and, and very, they were at war with the students, uh, you know, over trivial things like cell phones in class. And I never had any 10 years. I never once had a behavioral issue. I mean, I'm at college and I just would, I would go in and say, Hey, we've all got cell phones. Uh, uh, we all have lives outside this classroom that are more important. Uh, you've got families and job interviews. Do me the favor, put it on vibrate. If you need to take a call, stand up, try not to make a commotion, attend to your priorities. If you need to leave, leave, come back when you come back, uh, you know, and and I found that by treating the class with respect, I got a lot of respect in return. And then like other professors, they'd collect cell phones at the beginning of class. And I, I thought that was atrocious. First of all, I don't believe you have that right. Second of all, just even if you do, the behavior and the tone that that sets is just, well, horrible and 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 this is like i was also very young once now i'm not but you know when i started teaching i was in grad school i was 22 23 years old 
And so, like, I had my first college, you know, job uh, out of grad school. I'm 26, 27, and I'm going into meetings with 60-year-old tenured professors that are, you know, sitting back, patting themselves on the back and chuckling about, you know, students over very trivial things. Like, a lot of them were worried about penmanship and, and, and you know, like, things like that. And so there was a big generational disconnect in many ways. And, and uh, so, yeah, I'm afraid I more disagreed with a lot of the people I encountered and tried to go in a more youthful approach. Do you think maybe it was easier for you or more challenging that you were similar in age to that of your students? On the one hand, maybe it allows you to better relate to what they're going through and maybe have a more universal language. But on the other hand, I imagine there may also be some drawbacks. Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? I never was able to relate to them because I'm not able to relate to anyone. I can't relate to my peers. Uh, uh, my whole life growing up, I've always been the odd one out. I don't, I'm not into the things that I'm supposed to be into, whether it's gender things. I don't like sports. Uh, I liked my little ponies. I, 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 whether it's age things, I, I didn't like, I've never liked shoot 'em up games and gun games and violent. I don't watch violent movies or scary movies and stuff. And I, I don't listen to, you know, loud music or go to rock concerts or things like that. And so I've never been able to uh, uh, relate to anyone. I've, I'm always a freak. Uh, I grew, grew up thinking of myself as a freak and being a freak. So even though I was a few years older than my students, I was definitely not hip and not with it. And I could not be. Uh, uh, I long ago embraced the fact that I am a freak and, and I've subscribed to the philosophy of wave your freak flag high. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just like, yep, I have no idea what that means and I'm not going to learn and I don't care because I'm going to go do something weird that you've never heard of and it's cool too. And so here we go. And, and so I would bring, I would more channel into that. I would channel into my, my, uh, energy that I had for interacting with people, but no, I could never relate to them. I could never relate to anyone. I can't relate to, to, to half of my friends or more because I'm on Twitter and all my MTG friends are going on about the sports game or whatever yeeting is. And I don't know what any of this stuff means. And I'm not into it. I never saw Star Wars or The Godfather. And, and everyone yells at me over that stuff. And then it's like, well, I, I just haven't, you know? So I don't get it. I don't get the, the, the reference that you're making, probably. But uh, I, I know other stuff. I probably know shows you don't know that are cool. So that's, that's kind of what I lean into. Right on. So that's an excellent transition into... I just want to start from the beginning, Prof. I want to ask you to describe a little bit about where you're from originally, where you were born, a little bit about your parents, just anything you want to tell me about going back as far as you can remember, basically. I was born and raised in North Hollywood, California, my parents were both originally from New York. I'm sometimes told I have a weird, unidentifiable accent because both my parents have thick Brooklyn accents, and I was raised in the Valley, dude, during the uh, uh, height of, like, you know, L.A. Valley talk, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I've been, sometimes people are like, are you East or West Coast? I can't quite tell. Uh, and that might be the result of that. But my father dreamed of being an actor. He was an actor. My father was an actor, uh, a writer, a musician, a uh, director. Um, he was into those performative arts. 
and he wanted to be a Hollywood actor. And so he moved out uh, to uh, Hollywood and then settled in North Hollywood, which is where actors who are not very successful end up in the Valley and you become the workaday actors, you know, people who get in a commercial. He was in a commercial and, you know, have a line in like Stepfather 3 or something like that. And, uh, you know, you do your plays and your small-time productions and you write your scripts that you send off to studios and get rejected and have other actors over and do a lot of drugs and, you know, talk about the industry. And that was my dad. Uh, And my mother worked as a waitress to support the family because he wouldn't, he refused to take work that that wasn't acting work uh, or music work. So he wanted to feed his creative endeavors and be in that sphere, right? Yes, uh, he wanted to to do that, but that was a little bit more than feeding his family in terms of priorities. Uh, And so my mother was the one who took care of feeding the family. And uh, there was definitely, I mean, you can probably tell I have, that's my remaining kind of, I mean, I love my father. I've had him on the channel and stuff. And, but, you know, there's, it's, it's tough when your mother is working from morning until night in a very physically demanding line of work and coming home and we're counting nickels and dimes for shopping grocery money and, and, and a $5 toy is very expensive for the family and stuff like that. And your father's sitting at home watching TV all day and, and then having buddies come over and, and, you know, like, like do drugs and stuff like that. And, 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 and he could be working, but he, he's able-bodied and he doesn't want to because he is an artist uh, you know, and now he's going to sit and watch the golf tournament and, and, and stuff. And so, yeah, I, I mean, that was always, that was a big motivation for why I went to college. I still was, it, the artistic endeavors in, were impressed upon me, but I also was like, I don't want to be like that. I want to make a living. And so I went to college so that I would be able to work a job and make a living. And that was very important and also very scary when I did leave that job to essentially become an artist again full time uh uh but as it, but I'm I'm making money so that's the difference between me and my dad um in that regard uh and I I I know I've that maybe sounds like I'm being very mean or harsh to him we have a complicated relationship and I would stress to people listening that I I do deeply love him and that he does deeply love me but that doesn't mean everything's always sunshine and roses you know uh uh and it was a difficult part you know, growing up, you know, at, at that level of, of, it wasn't extreme poverty, but things, there was a struggle. And, and it was made more of a struggle when you have a, a parent who's willfully just, I don't want to work. And it was just that. And it was like, okay, well, I don't ever get to see mom, you know, because she is literally working until she comes home. And then she has to cook us dinner. He's not going to do that. And, and then she's going to collapse from exhaustion. And and he's just doing living a, his whatever he wants to do with his life, and 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 there that there was definitely like I I, I could recognize that that sh- it shouldn't be that way <laughs> when I was a kid that he should be doing more than he's doing. How old were you when you when you began to have that sort of awareness? I think it was when I realized he didn't have a job. Uh, uh, I, I think I very clearly remember actually being in about second grade and and not and it was some conversation. I was like writing 
and and you know an imitation of him because he'd sit around writing his screenplays and stuff and I was writing my own screenplay in imitation of him and I kind of remember running back and forth to show him what I did and somehow it came up and I had just assumed that like mom he had a job and it was clarified for me that he did not have a job and that he did not make any money doing what he did that he, I think that might have been it. Like, I was like, how much do you get paid? And he's like, I don't make any, you know, I, I have not sold a, ever sold a script. And, and I was like, I think I asked him, like, well, shouldn't you have a job like mom? And his answer was, I don't want to. And I, you know, and I, I think I added it up in my head even then where it was like, well, whether you want to or not, like, you know, I, I am aware of the fact that from conversations you two have that, like, paying bills is hard and that the money isn't there. So I was, I think I even might've said to him, maybe you should get a job, (laughs) you know? And he's like, I don't want to. And, and that was, you know, uh, that was a big defining aspect of how, of, of him for me uh, uh, in a lot of ways was he, he chose not to work and not to bring in any money to support the family. Uh, uh, and, and he was there and he was loving, uh, and, and all of that stuff, but there was a selfishness, I feel, to that. And I, 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 I did have a strong motivation to not be like him in that regard. I've never, I've never done any, uh, drugs other than alcohol and that's in retaliation. I've never even smoked pot and I know half the population smokes pot. I don't have a problem with pot, uh, but he was a big pothead and I, was like, I'm not going to do that. Just, and it just turned into a, I'm not doing that because that's him. And, and I went to college cause he didn't. And I worked even though I wanted to sit around playing games and stuff because he didn't. And that was a big motivator. Uh, uh, it, it really was. And, uh, uh, again, I, you know, I love him and he loves me. And, you know, right now, I mean, they're, I, I, I'm also taking care of them financially now too, you know, uh, because they're both old and don't have any money and, and they're living, you know, like pretty badly. And so I help out where I can because they, they never saved a penny in their lives and, and, and they don't have any social security because, you know, waitresses, it's all in tips, which is unofficial. And, and he never worked a day in his life, uh, uh, quite literally. Uh, uh, his father got him a job once when he was 22 and, and it was like a union. His father was a projectionist, my grandfather and was in the union. And he called up his buddies and said, my son's in LA. Is there a, a job at the theater? And they got him a job at the theater. My dad went in and he walked out after about 45 minutes and lay down on the grass and fell asleep. And he woke up to his boss standing over him, kicking him lightly with his foot and said, you're fired. And, and that was the, that was literally the end of my father's work. That was what he did, you know, and, and that was all he, now he was also, he was also first clarinet in the Houston Philharmonic. So he did, he did things, but he didn't work a job. I mean, that's a job. I'm not maybe being clear, but he didn't, you know, work a non-artistic job. And when he was first clarinet in the Houston Philharmonic, he, you know, he was, uh, you know, he went in and did it and put his all into it and stuff. And when he got a play, he put his all into it. And, and when he wanted to, 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 you know, like do a movie and, and, you know, he really did, but 
he wasn't going to work day to day in an office or anything. It's challenging because I do sense that in a lot of people. There are people that want to always do things on their terms and never try to reconcile that with what the realities of the world require you to actually do. I mean, of course, this is a very trivial example, but for example, you do a podcast or you do a video. If you don't find your audience, well, there's some people that are just like, well, F them. Like, they don't understand what I'm doing. I'm an artist. You know, I'm just <laughs> going to keep doing my obscure topic on this podcast for, you know, 10 more years. And who cares if I don't have an audience, right? I'm an artist. But then there are other people that will actually think, okay, so what's actually happening here? Why, are, why is this message not landing? What do I actually have to adjust so this will actually resonate or land. And, and, and so I, I, don't, I don't mean to trivialize what you're saying. I'm just saying that I, I yeah. think that's a very human quality is to try to think about how you, you either try to f- make it work or you don't. And, and, right. and, some, and you, know, you know what I mean, right? Oh, yeah, I do. And, and again, I, I really want to stress that I'm not because I, I, I did, I, did a, I, I put my father in videos for a reason because I love him and I wanted to play around with him. And, and we actually... Yeah, we we connected uh, in, in in reconnected a little bit and had some fun with those. But there was one of the interview ones where where we were talking about his life, and I got a little. Uh, uh, can I say pissy on the podcast? You can say whatever you want. Yeah, oh, okay. I, yeah. Well, I got a little pissy with him because you know he was talking about his life, and he was he was he doesn't he's not hard. He doesn't say I regret that I didn't. He's like no, I would he today and even and right now, and he's having some some health struggles and 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 stuff. And even now, like you know, he's not on his deathbed, but like as the saying goes, he's not like I should have worked harder. I should have been the you know. He's like no, he'll he'll be like no. Why should he'll, he'll literally say to me why should i have done that and i'd be like well because mom was doing all the work and he goes that's her business and and that's literally how he talks and so i was doing this one interview with him on the channel and he was talking about his life and and various things that he did and i kind of was starting to get a little pissy with him and in the video and i was a little like yeah and then you sabotage that didn't you that didn't last <laughs> that didn't bring in any money did it and and the audience like the viewers were like wow you're being mean to your dad and it's like, yeah, well, no one else was. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> he could have used a little bit of that, I think. He was the favorite son of he had an older brother who worked every day of his life and his parents he was the favorite uh and stuff. And and my mother loves him with all her heart and and will work, you know, I mean, she was up until recently. She's in her seventies now and she's working at Home Depot. Uh, for minimum wage as a greeter at Home Depot to pay for him in you know in and them and stuff and that's where I stepped in and said I I can help out with a little bit of money luckily you know but like it's like he was okay with that and it's like mom's 70 and she's going into Home Depot to work for minimum wage and 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 he's like well I can't now you know I'm like but would you if like is if your health was better nah probably not we had that conversation it's turning into a therapy session about my dad, but uh, 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 it's it's that that's that, and there's positive things too. He was a very loving and supportive father. He never once like he walked in on me playing with my little ponies, and he was a a man's man kind of. You know, he was born in 1934. And he really wanted me to play sports and he really wanted me to be a manly man. And I remember him. And you know what he said? He said, that's his business. And and every step of the way. And he supported me in everything I wanted to do. And I said, I don't want to do that. I don't like it. I don't want to go play football. And he said, okay, 
what do you want to do? And I said, I want to write and, or I want to read books or I want to study animals. And he's like, let's do that. And, and was always there with love and support in those areas. He just wouldn't bloody work, you know? Uh, and, and same for my mother, you know, he just was like, well, I don't work, you know, unless it's art. And, and that's how he lived. And he was like, you know, do you love me? And my mom said yes. And in my case, it's like, well, tough, too bad. You're my kid. And and I do love him. Uh, uh, but, you know, that was kind of the dynamic and, and such. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. But I grew up in North Hollywood. So, and I wanted to be an animal biologist. Uh, my first 18 years of life, I wanted to be an animal biologist more than anything. This is just because you, you love animals or is yeah, it what's the... Yeah, that's what it was. I loved animals. And uh, I wanted to just have everything in my life be about animals. And uh, so I latched on to the idea of being an animal biologist early on. And I went to a specialty high school eventually. And it was uh, built onto the LA Zoo. And it was the North Hollywood High School Zoo Magnet Center. And I literally attended high school at the LA Zoo. And our, our uh, teachers were animal biologists and marine biologists uh, uh, people who, uh, taught us classes, like instead of the general electives, we had additional requirements. I took classes like invertebrate zoology, animal observation studies, environmental studies, animal, be animal behavior, uh, uh, taught by, you know, uh, uh, PhDs that worked as marine biologists and, and, and such. And I was literally in classrooms behind the scenes at the zoo. And it was a, for, it was a gifted magnet and I learned a lot there most notably that i did not in fact want to be an animal biologist that it was a lot oh, really of, Why? oh it was I, I was like what do you mean i have to memorize the periodic table of elements i just want to be with animals and they're like yeah well you know an animal biologist is like a full-on scientist right yeah you understand that right you're not just going to play with animals all day and i'm like i know i'm not just going to play with animals not going to just be a horse whisperer and just right right but i, I didn't quite realize the the rather vigorous uh, scientific and academic requirements, and and it was not, it was not for me, and and I, f it was something that interests and excites me still to this day, but it was not for me as a career, and I fell from there into, uh, books and reading largely through Magic: The Gathering and fantasy, and high school is when I got into magic, and and it wasn't just magic; I was into all things like like science fiction fantasy specifically fantasy and and i just I, I started reading like a fiend and i read every fantasy book on the shelf at at borders books and and i wanted to write them and that's what i wanted to do but then i also looked at my father and i said i don't want to be unemployed writing because if you write you're probably never going to get published or ever make any money off of it i saw him my whole life trying to be an actor and a musician and a writer and I said, I do still want to do that, but I also want to go to college and get a degree so that I can have a job if the novel doesn't sell. And so I did just that. And I wrote many novels, and I couldn't get them published. Uh, and that's what led what, to What was teaching. that process like? You, you just pitched them to, to publishers? Depressing as hell. I mean, it's, it's like basically you would sit and you would write. And I mean, like writing a novel could take years. And uh, you would send off query letters to agents, literary agents, and sometimes publishers. And it just goes in what's called the slush pile because nobody is is getting picked up that way anyway. You have to have connections. You're supposed to go to grad school to meet literary agents at 
gatherings and stuff and introduce the, the you, nobody is getting picked up out of the slush pile. And this was decades ago at this point. Uh, and it was just, I don't think in probably, I, I wrote my first novel when I was 18. It was a, uh, about 150,000 words, uh, 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 fantasy novel. And, uh, I kept writing novels ever since then until I was about, I think, 30. And it was when I was 30 where I realized no one but my parents and my wife and one of my friends had ever read any word I've ever written. And, of course, the other students in workshops that probably didn't read it anyway. Um, and I was sitting in my basement, which ironically turned into my basement for Tularian Community College. And I just looked up at this cement wall and and was like it was this beautiful day outside and i was sitting writing some other novel and i thought what the hell am i doing this is just pointless i've uh, this is i had my job it was it, i had my house i had my my wife didn't have my kid yet uh uh but you know knew that was on the horizon you know maybe we'd been talking about it and I was just, why am I spending every free minute in here when I could be out in the garden or out doing anything other than this? And and I just was like, I'm done. And I gave up. And I, uh, and I got up and walked out, you know. And, and uh, it was very disheartening. And now I write things. It's about magic, but hundreds of thousands of people view it. And it's wild. I, I, I read one of my short stories in a video once. And it just be just to do it, and it's like the video has like I think fifty, sixty thousand views, and it's wild. It's like more people experienced the short story that I wrote in that video than probably would have had I been successfully published in like a a collection of short stories. <laughs> because the truth of the matter is, is that print media is pretty dead, and 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 like that that. $50 literary magazine at Barnes & Noble, you know, is not getting picked up by anyone other than aspiring writers these days. There's a reason why that magazine is $50, yes. Yeah, and it's it's just crazy to think that, like, I all the years I was, like, submitting my work to those, I'd go into Barnes & Noble, and I'd just pick up every lit journal and magazine from the rack, and I'd, I'd buy them, and, and, and I'd, I'd read them, and I'd write stories, and I'd, I'd, I'd send in the submissions, and it's, like, just form rejection from you know all of them and it's like you know what more people are watching my my mtg videos than than if i had been published in the paris review you know and and that's wild in a way and so i read one of my stories one time and i'm also more happy and fulfilled than when i was a professor of english so that's another thing too so youtube's been very kind to me or actually no it hasn't the magic the gathering community has been very kind to me just the YouTube was the conduit. Yeah, the, the, the YouTube algorithmic stuff is very challenging because I remember yes. just talking to Pleasant Kenobi, a.k.a. Vince recently, and he was... Does he have a YouTube channel? No, that's a joke. <laughs> that's a joke. For any, anybody who actually watches me, who and if any of your listeners are familiar with me, that's a recurring joke I do to Vince. I love Vince. He's the nicest, most wonderful, most sincere guy on the planet, and it's such a proud you know, honor to be able to, to work with him on occasion because he's just heart of gold, that guy. Yeah, he's absolutely great. Have you thought about perhaps leveraging being known as a professor now to release some works and, and actually put some stuff out there? I've considered it. I have thought about what if I wrote a novel now 
or looked at an older novel that I was proud of that I might rewrite and, and improve upon. And if I were to possibly be in a position where, given that if I were, you know, to have a novel published, probably especially a sci-fi fantasy novel, that there's probably a pretty guaranteed number of sales that, you know, viewers would be like, yeah, I'd spend four bucks to get some fantasy novel by the professor, or even maybe, an, you know, like, like just, you know, an actual just work of fiction. Uh, I've thought about it. I, I feel in many ways like that's going backwards. I feel that it's kind of like writing and literature did not provide that for me, but YouTubing about Magic the Gathering did, and so that's me, and that's what I want to pursue. I'm working on a project right now that I, I don't want to say the specific details of, but it's it's a very uh, it's it's a very costly and time intensive project, but it's it's diving into Magic the Gathering and YouTube and video and and something very special that I hope to bring to the community. And and I hope it is a success because it's something that I think does not exist on YouTube for Magic the Gathering, but that people would really, really enjoy. And I feel that to just be like, cool, I'm gonna write my, you know, fantasy novel and I'm gonna make a tweet saying, is any of my followers a literary agent? You know, like I'm sure out of 500,000 subscribers, you know, 5,000 people would buy a copy of the book, which is pretty good numbers for a small art house press, you know, someone interested. And I feel like that's the wrong direction. The direction is, should be that I'm giving to the community, not that I'm taking from the community. And I feel that doing the book with that prerogative is is taking. Now, if I roll over and I am struck with the urge and the desire and the ambition to tell a story, and then I want to share that story with people who would like to hear that story, that's another matter. That I might do if that happens, but it hasn't. I had an idea for a YouTube video series that I had in the middle that I'm turned over and I said, I want to do this. But to just try and be like, oh yeah, sure, I, I bet now I could totally get someone to independently, like a small press, publish one of my things and sell it to my viewers. I feel that's cynical, and I feel that that's not what I'm about. And and what I'm about is is I want to create organically and give in that same way. And that is what has gotten me to where I am, and that's kind of what I'm pursuing. Because the video stuff is something that organically landed. It wasn't like, I mean, there's there's no physical way you could pay 500,000 people to legitimately subscribe to your video, follow every video right. you have, and actually connect and, and connect with what you're saying or doing. So I, I definitely understand that. I, I was just wondering if the novels you wrote, did you do it for yourself or did you do it because you felt like that story had to be told or was it kind of a, an interesting balance of the two? I would say it's a, a balance of the two. I, I, it was an ambition. I wanted to be a writer. I felt, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, there's a lot of arrogance that goes into art. That's one thing I've actually said, like... Well, I mean, it goes into all art, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's our artists are... I, I always like to describe myself as, uh, let's see, what was it? I would always say that uh, I have very, very low... Uh, uh, self-esteem, but a very, very big ego. And what that translates to is 
I think that my work is shit. I think that my work is garbage, but I also think it's better than yours. And that's my garbage that's a is joke. better than your garbage. Yeah, right. Basically, and yeah. I would say that in grad school a lot, where I was like, "Yeah, I, I think I'm crap. I think I I am crap, but I'm better than you." And uh, that's not, by the way, like uh, authentic, but it's it's a joke to represent. I think artists. And and I actually was having this conversation with someone. Uh, uh, from a company, you know, that wants to work with creators and was coming to me. And I was trying to explain to them because they were being very reasonable about it. And I was trying to explain, you know, if you really want to like create this thing with all these different YouTubers and Twitch streamers under your tent like this, and I'm like, I know these people, they're my friends or, or just my colleagues, and we're all doing it for different reasons. Like three different Twitch streamers take the three top magic Twitch streamers and each of them is going to have a very different motivation and psychology and, and, you know, like, like, like inner person and the same thing with YouTubers and, and just podcasters and everybody. And so like I was trying to convey in as polite a terms as possible is like, listen, we're all crazy. We've, we've got a certain level of, of it's, it's a little crazy to think I'm going to play video games and, and, and broadcast it for the world to watch in such a way that's entertaining and engaging that people will actually do so. And I mean, like, there's a certain to think that that would work. Look, you have to have a certain level of arrogance. I'm going to record my thoughts on card sleeves and put it on a YouTube video to 100,000 people to watch. There is an arrogance in me thinking that that's worth being watched, even if you're going to say it is worth being watched, just me thinking that there, there has to be an arrogance to that. And I think that's in most artists. So as a kid or a young adult, as I was writing, you know, I mean, I wanted to tell stories of what my perception of life was and what my narrative was. And I was also more story oriented. I was criticized a lot in school and workshops for having not like a very strong message in a lot of my stories, but I had written like adventures in many ways. I had written tales that were, I guess, more entertainment based. It sounds to me at least that in a lot of ways you've moved on. And, and I think focus is really important these days. So, you know, you have your family and if, as far as your career goes, you have that secret project and you also have the, the YouTube channel. These are the things that you really focus on. So it sounds to me like in a lot of ways, going back into that, novel or novelist world is something that was that's not the professor that's that that was you yeah. many decades ago in a way right 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 and and that's the thing is it's kind of like i'm not going to i'm not going to take this thing that i spent over a decade failing at and then and then look towards this thing that i'm now succeeding at and look at how i can leverage that to to make the thing that failed succeed I don't want to use it for that. I want to use it to, to continue succeeding. I, I, I'm, I'm, that was miserable being a writer. <laughs> being a writer was just miserable and depressing. And I, I get nothing but joy from my YouTube channel. So yeah, that's who I am now. I, I don't want to be an animal biologist anymore either. I want to be me. I think that's part of just growing up and understanding more about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people, myself included, know the broad strokes of 
how you went from the first video, which is really like, you know, I'm going to see if I can make enough money to get a box of boosters. I'm going to do a product review on sleeves or gaming products. And then, oh, okay, this kind of connected. And, and then I'm going to try to go deeper and deeper into it. But I want you to describe for me from that first video, what was your mindset or mental state to the first couple of years being part-time creator? And then finally, it's a multi-part question, but finally going from that into full-time content creation. Why don't we start with the very beginning, you know, from that first video and the success that it saw, how did you decide, okay, I'm going to do more videos and try to make a, a run at this? Well, it was very hobby-based. I, I didn't think I was even going to get $100 for a booster box, which was kind of the, the premise. Um, and it was really just that I had the deck box video kind of in me as well. And I went from that to play mats and binders. And I had done a couple others uh, in between where, like, I think I showed off my $50 Goblin Modern deck. And I did a little video about advice for returning players because I was a returning player. And I wanted to record the advice that I had picked up. But it wasn't until I, I saw this potential and this idea that this is actually going somewhere that the idea whispered in my mind maybe you could turn this into a part-time thing uh that took a while it was really hobby based i think it was when after i had gotten my booster box and some more money in ad revenue came in and i wanted to take all that money plus more money plus you know money was still pretty tight for us and I said to my wife, hey, I want to buy a professional camera and some lighting equipment and some sound equipment and and look at, you know, like I've made in the last three, four months on the channel a couple hundred dollars, several hundred dollars uh, uh, in ad revenue. And, and I want to spend, you know, $900 on a camera. And we had a long talk about that. That was a conversation that had to happen because that was, we don't, we don't spend money on that stuff. Like my wife and I are not extravagant people. We, we, we enjoy a bottle. We were at the time, you know, maybe we'd enjoy a bottle of wine with, with dinner. Uh, we've got video games, but spending that much money on a camera was absurd to us. You know, we just had the little disposable ones and stuff. And, uh, you know, she supported me. And I went ahead and did it, but it was like me, she wanted to make sure that I could sell the camera again if I needed to and such. And then I went from the camera to needing lighting. And so I bought a couple soft boxes that was cheaper. And then I had to figure out sound and, and to do sound correctly, you need to have a microphone and a digital recorder. And so I was not only spending all the money that the channel was bringing in on equipment for the channel, but I was spending my own money as well. And in addition to that, to review products, like I now sometimes get products from companies, but it, it took years for that to happen. I did not get free evaluation samples until well into the channel's establishment. So there was just a lot of stuff coming directly from your own pocket. It wasn't even enough to what I would call bootstrap, like, okay, use only the revenue that I earned from the channel to fund it. Like this was a it sounds to me like this was effectively a leap of faith and it was not an easy, trivial decision to make, right? It, it definitely, I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a leap of faith in that I did not have still the expectation in my mind that this was going to pay off. So a leap of faith is like, I didn't, 
I didn't think it was going to to ever be anything more than a hobby until I, I made the, the first Patreon video. And that's when it was like, hmm, maybe I have something here. But uh, prior to that, I just wanted to do it well. It, that was just like, listen, I used to brew beer. And I that was something where I was always asking the wife, is it okay to spend this on better equipment and better materials? And, and, and the two of us did that together as a hobby, and I really liked brewing beer. And when I brewed beer, I wanted to be the very best. And, and uh, we got into even a few arguments where I was like trying to keep meticulous notes. And, and I was like, well, we need to do this professionally. And she's like, why? We're just doing it for us to drink beer. And I was like, well, you never know. I just want to do it right. And I have that attitude about a lot of things where I really want to do it correctly. And, I, and that's where wanting the better camera and the better equipment came from. I wanted to do it the best that I could do it. Okay, so you got the camera, the better gear, right. and then walk me through how you go from that to eventually going full-time. Well, I, I, I couldn't keep working my job, uh, which was I was teaching four to five classes, and I was literally spending every free minute uh, making videos for the channel where I had gone from one video every other week to a video a week to I was doing about two a week. And two videos a week with working full-time, I couldn't keep it up. And that's actually what I said in my first Patreon video. I said, listen, uh, the idea came to me is what if I get enough funding to quit a class? And so basically I was like, what if you paid me what I make in a class and then I can quit that class and keep making this? And that's what I said in the video. I said, that's the goal. And I, I forget what the numbers are now, uh, but I outlined the numbers and I, I, I think it was something like... $950. I forget what a class paid over the course of a month sort of thing. I think it was less than that, but I, that's what I wanted. And I was like, if I can get that, then I can quit the class and, 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 and do this. And, and so I explained that. And I said in the video, like, look, you know, uh, uh, if, if, I, if this doesn't fund, I'm still going to make videos, but I can't do two a week. I don't know where I'm going to go after that. Maybe it'll double occasional things where I come say hi, I can't keep it up, you know, and, and so the Patreon funded really well and, and it actually was enough for me to quit all but one of my, my schools. So I was now working part-time and doing the channel part-time and I was able to take that extra money and, and supplement the classes. And it was a real trade. I got a lot of criticism uh, from certain parts of the internet where people viewed it as I'm putting the money in my pocket, but uh, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, it was literally like, cool, now I can buy a real, real camera, not just a $900 one, but like, uh, you know, like a real HD camera is a couple thousand dollars, and I, I needed to buy an editing computer, and I'm, I'm like, we're going to be able to do this for real full-time, not full-time, part-time, but like real quality and, and stuff like that. And uh, I basically, as far as what I was taking home at the time, what I was putting in my pocket, I had traded my classes for the income, and then the rest went into the channel. And that's when the whispers in my head of, you could do this full-time maybe, started to happen, because that's when I knew I had something. And so over the next, I'd say about year and a half or so, maybe two years, I don't have the exact timeline, I was paying very close attention to this idea of maybe I'm going to head towards being full-time, and it actually happened kind of gradually. And what happened was, was I ended up where I realized 
thanks to, you know, the Patreon and stuff, I was, I was okay. Like if I lost my classes, I would be okay. And that's exactly what happened. I lost my classes. Uh, I'm an adjunct instructor and uh, the classes did not get the high enough enrollment that they, that they, that the school required. And so the school's like, Hey, you've got 18 people instead of 23 or whatever it is in your class. We're cutting your classes. And I said, I worked here over a decade. Uh, and this is three days before the semester starts. And they said, sorry, we're not going to let these classes go with only 18 people in them. And they were like, reapply next semester. Like you always do. And I realized that as much as that sucked, and then my car also broke down that week too. And I was like, my, and my car like, like had a major breakdown and I'm literally sitting on the side of the road and I just lost my classes. And then I said, you know what? I'm okay though. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to reapply for those classes. And I went home and I revised and revamped my Patreon and I made a video and it's, again, I got a lot of criticism too, where some people, I think people just saw the thumbnail or something. Uh, but actually in the video, I said those very words, uh, I'm not leaving and I'm actually okay. Uh, but Hey, if you've got a dollar and want to support me on Patreon, that will keep this channel going and growing strong, which has been my phrase going and growing strong. And I revised the Patreon and the Patreon took off further than it had. And people were supportive and, and it was great. And I, I was able to go full time. And so again, like the biggest thing has been people's support on Patreon, uh, which is able to uh, supplement the very low ad revenue that YouTube brings and allow me to actually have an office and buy equipment. And I now hire people. I'd like to get someone in part time maybe, but uh, uh, to, to be able to have the funding to run a business. And it's it's just, it's... I don't even, I'm like at a loss for words. I don't know what I did to deserve it, but I'm glad I did it is what I say. And I mean that. And I know people are going to say like, oh, what you did was you made good videos. A lot of people make good videos. I, I don't know. I don't feel I deserve it. I just, but that's what motivates me. That's why I'm not writing the novel. I don't feel I deserve it. So my goal is to deserve it. So hopefully when this secret project launches, maybe I'll deserve it a little bit more because that's also what, like, you know, that's what I'm working on. I don't know. I think that's the great paradox of content creation is that the thing that makes us feel that we don't deserve it is the reason why we end up deserving it because we're <sighs> very much, I, I can definitely sense that that commonality we have is like, I'm very much driven by anxiety too. Like I'm not doing yeah. it. I like I, I do this because I feel like I can improve and I do right. it because there's a little small dopamine rush whenever I create something, release yeah. it into the world. I sure it only lasts for five seconds before some critic comes in and says something. But right. that's that that high makes it all worth it. And I think that's something that it's a bond that content creators have, whether you're a writer, a video a YouTuber, a streamer an author, whatever, like it, it, it's, it's all there, but it's very hard to articulate exactly why I think we're all kind of just crazy and irrational. If you think about it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Prof, you're still very much a one man operation in spirit, but in recent times you've scaled up the amount of work and people involved, at least behind the scenes to create greater output. Walk me through how you managed to do that. Yeah, well, uh, that's very recent. So up until literally just a few months ago, uh, I've been a one-man show, quite literally. Uh, I have, and 
largely continue to written every episode. I'm only scripted. I don't do any unscripted things. So every one of those videos you see was me writing a script first, revising it, editing it. Uh, then I, I film and that's again me. There's no other crew there. I had to learn all the equipment myself. I'm setting everything up perilously myself to then flip everything on and go sit in front of the camera. Well, I mean, it's good because you have very exact standards, it sounds like, for how yeah, you want yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, but I still I don't, I feel like the dog in that meme. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, and then I, I uh, go to edit and do all the post-production stuff myself again. And uh, that's what I did. And just a few months ago... I was able to figure out in the budget of, because like when you donate on Patreon or buy a t-shirt or just watch a video and an ad plays, all that money goes in a pot. And that pot is Tolarian Community College. And I, I, uh, I get paid out of that pot. And again, it's, it's very similar to what I was making as a teacher. Uh, and then the, there's costs of operation, like rent for the office. And, you know, my computer needs to be replaced. So, boy, that's a big ticket item. Or I just need a cable. That's a low ticket item. There's a lot of costs involved. But I was looking over the, the, the numbers. And I have a bookkeeper accountant, too. And that also costs money. But I figured out that, you know, maybe some of these videos... I can find people to help with the editing. Not the more complex ones, but actually the less complex ones, because I still feel that there's a style to my own personal edits and that it feels like a Tellarian video, and that's me behind the, you know, controls. But I did find a couple uh, uh, really talented editors, and uh, they, they work on a, a video every, every... I do three videos a week, and of those three videos a week, every other week, I'd say we've got one video that has been worked on, one to two, uh, uh, that may have been worked on to varying degrees or exclusive degrees uh, by one of these uh, editors that I'm working with. Uh, and that affords me more time to focus on my scripts uh, uh, or to focus on producing the content or, as has started to happen, actually give me a time off. Because up until just a few months ago, I've been working six to seven days a week from morning till night because it's literally just me. And uh, I've done that with some scripts as well where I've largely reached out to friends in the community that I know and I trust. And I've said, hey, I don't have a Eldrazi Tron deck in Modern and hey, you just won... Uh, a Star City, or you just came in top eight at a Star City with Eldrazi Tron. Do you want to write a deck tech? Uh, I, I can pay you for your work. And uh, I, I, yeah, sure, you know, and then we've been able to do that. And I've been really so on some of the deck techs. It's mostly on the deck techs. You'll see like, oh, I was able to have this person, you know, like either work as just a consultant or a full-on writer for the deck. And it might not be a deck that I personally own used to be that I'd only do decks that I owned, but this lets me branch out. Or you'll see at the end of a video, it might say like, you know, special thanks to my editor. And I'm really proud to be able to pay these people. I don't say like, hey, just do it. And it's exposure. I pay industry rates. I'm able to offer them their worth and they are worth it. When a cosplayer comes to, to guest on the channel, I pay that person for their time and skill. And I think it's one of the biggest travesties in like, you know, new media that, I mean, even not, not just YouTubers, I actually think corporations are more guilty of this, uh, uh, which is just like, hey, we can just get these people to work for us for free. And I, I think that's atrocious. Uh, so like, I wasn't going to do that if I couldn't actually pay them. And so I'd like to be able to get maybe more like stable, like I'd love like a 
a regular part-time editor, but I can't, you know, the channel can't afford that right now, but I'm working towards that. And that's definitely one of my goals, uh, uh, or, or, or to bring on people as, as right now it's very casual. It's just like, Hey, you got some free time, edit this video, you know, like, and, 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 and such, but I'd love to be able to have more than just a one man operation. Have you been happy with your collaborators and working with them? Because I, it just sounds to me like with the standards that you have, which are very exacting for your videos and done in a certain way, do you end up having to spend a lot of time in terms of giving feedback and like, hey, let's how, let's try to try to get it in this direction and maybe try to get it a little bit more on message for the next one? Like that whole process, how, how does it work out for you? Well, if I'm working with someone to assist with like editing, uh, for example, or uh, specifically just the editing, then obviously... I want the video to look like a Telerian video. That's their job to make it look like that, yeah. Yeah, I also want their expertise. I mean, I don't. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a English major uh, who taught at community college, and they've trained professionally. So I've also said to them, "Speak up." You know, like let me know if if you can do something better, or even if you just have a creative idea. And uh, that's led to, I feel that, like, I, I really like the work that's coming out. They're, they can do certain flourishes that I can't do. And I've been able to tap into that and say, listen, when you did this, that's great. I didn't know how to do that. When we show the combo here, so we're showing a combo, it's a, compl it's a little confusing. Can we do this and this to illustrate the combo visually? That way, like, a lot of times I hear criticism, why do I need a YouTube video on a deck tech? I can just read the list. And it's like, yeah, but demonstrating a combo maybe I can do that visually and that'll help you understand the deck better and so like I've been trying to tap into those elements when I work with someone like a collaborator like for example I invite a cosplayer on to do a comedy skit or working with Vince on our uh, video podcast dies to removal or or even just I mean I all the time have opportunities where it's a, a, either a pro player or another content creator will say hey let's do a collab I love this stuff. Uh, I, in those cases, I'm only concerned about them. And so if Vince says, you know, when, when I was talking to Vince about the podcast, I said, my only concern is you. Uh, I want you to feel creatively satisfied. I want you to feel proud of the work. I want you to feel in control. I want this to be a reflection of you. And, and I feel that if you do that, that will draw other people to the work. And a lot of times when I work with people who maybe write for some of the larger companies, they're, they're often surprised because they'll say, is there a card you want pushed? Or, uh, and I say, what do you want to do? And they'll be like, what do you mean? What do I want to do? Like, what's, what's, what's your target? And it's like, my target is you to be creatively fulfilled. And, and uh, that's led to some funny things where certain pros have been like, oh my God, could I do a commander deck tech even though I play on the modern SCG circuit? Because I love my commander deck. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And, and it just kind of blows their mind. And they're like, well, well, can I do this? And I'm like, I want you to pursue you as a creator. And, and then I might step in and say, so this section here, can we rework it and like develop it further? Like, I feel like you don't go into enough detail, but I ultimately make it to be as like, I want this to be a project for an audience of one. And that one is the person I'm collaborating with. Uh, and, and that's very important to me. And I really stress I want you to speak up. I want you to tell me I'm wrong. If I start to say something, know that it's always a suggestion and never the way it needs to be. And if you say, I don't think that's funny, I don't think that's effective, I don't think that, that I just don't like it. 
I want to hear that because that's what's more important to me. And, 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 and so that's how I approach collaborations. And I, I view them as, you know, I, I think one of the biggest problems, I don't want to like go after Wizards of the Coast in this interview too much, but I will say that they do oftentimes treat it as a privilege to get to work with them. And it's like, aren't you lucky we sent you a preview card? And I go, no, aren't you lucky that I'm doing, I'm going to preview one of your cards. And, and not me, any of us, even if you've got a hundred listeners, aren't you lucky that I'm going to share that with my hundred listeners? And I feel that when I have someone come on the channel, I say to them, and I mean it, I am so lucky to get to have you come make my channel and my video better by your presence. And I work in subservience to that and to you. And I believe that so passionately. And every, my, like, if I were to list my favorite videos, they're all the ones where I worked with other people because I'm so proud to, to be able to, to, to have them on my channel. It's great to hear that. Yeah. It sounds like you're giving them a good space to do what they want to do. And I think just talking to you right now, I feel like you have, you, you dabble in so many different things and working with people is a way for you to be reminded of that in a way. Can we facilitate something that's interesting, like an interesting message for, for someone to, you know, because I have to say like, just watching your channel has made me more interested in things about magic that I normally wouldn't be. It's really wonderful. There's no question here. I just wanted to say that. Well, that's, that's lovely. I mean, when you mentioned creative space, I feel that that's what gives organic or independent creators such an edge over corporations. Like you look at, at YouTube, for example, and there, sh it should not be possible for some person in their basement to be able to beat out a giant company in terms of views. And yet it happens all the time. And that is because that person in their basement is, I, I like to use the word organic, uh, but another word might be sincere. And, and they are just pouring their love and their passion into their work, whereas the company is like, okay, we're going to do, you know, I, I actually remember at one point they stopped it, but uh, uh, it was when YouTube started exploding with magic content. And I, I don't do too many it, uh, unboxings, but there were a lot of unboxing channels for a while. And I remember Wizards tried to just literally do unboxing channels on their main YouTube, and they were just... I don't want to like disparage, but I'm going to have to. It was just so soulless and dead because they weren't, when you've got someone who does an unboxing channel and they're just like, and I don't even do unboxings really, but like watch Pokemon unboxers or, or any toy unboxers. And they're like, I love this. I'm so excited. And it was just like, it was like, it was almost a parody. I think they've removed them. And it was like a beige background and like, like, like opening the box. And it was like, Inside the dual deck, you have Veraska versus Jace. Jace is a blue card. And it was just like, and, and I actually remember at the time, because we all talked to each other, and like, you know, I, my DMs were exploding with some of the unboxers at the time. Uh, were like, like, some of them were like, should I be concerned that Wizards is doing that? And then it was quickly, no, because it doesn't matter that they have all the product in the world. They don't have the spirit that you have. And that actually ended up being true. And Watsi stopped doing those videos because they had no views and, and, and they just lacked that. And that isn't, by the way, I don't want to like be, be like doing a dig at, at, at Watsi. That's any company. Pokemon couldn't do its own unboxing videos that are going to compete with some of the big 
independent and organic poke tubers, you know, that do their own unboxing videos. And, and that's what, that's why corporate in some ways needs us because of that authenticity and that organic approach to things. And that's again, why I say why with something like a preview card, you, you know, you're coming to us and, and they really want to frame it as, aren't you lucky that you get to do this for us? And it's like for free. It's like, no, aren't you lucky that you're getting a free ad on my channel because I like your game so much. Uh, and I, I, I really think that when I bring in someone to collaborate, that's why I succeed in those videos is because my goal is, aren't I lucky to have you here? And so if I can give you every tool I can give you to do what you want to do as a creator, then that's going to make an amazing video. And and that's why I believe, you know, I mean, my videos do well. I don't want to, you know, but uh, they do well. And I, I think that that is a part of it. it, it I, I don't chase clicks uh, uh, sometimes I, I've been accused of that when I maybe do a Talarian wins on a particularly heated issue in the community, and they're like, oh, here's Talarian complaining about, you know, whatever, cardstock quality, just like everyone else. And it's like, no, I'm doing it because it's organic to me, and it just so happens to be the topic of the week. But, I mean, I if I were just chasing clicks, I would not be doing popper content when I did popper content. Or, or, or Commander I, before it was popular, yes. Yeah, I did Commander well before it was popular. Cube videos. Uh, uh, all, I, I mean, like, no one who's chasing clicks is going to say, I'm going to do a 15-minute guide to double-sleeving cards. But that's one of my most viewed videos. And I did it because I believe in double-sleeving. I believe in protecting my cards. And it is one of the most rate, high, highest-rated videos on my entire channel and that's why I think it got the clicks because it was me genuinely talking about why I think it's important to double sleeve not because it's me just chasing oh this is going to get the clicks when I do a pioneer deck deck it's because I'm having fun in pioneer and and I think that's what why corporate creators and corporate YouTube channels uh, again so they hire very talented people they've got all the knowledge and the equipment in the world but you need that little spark. And I think that's what I'm very proud of, not just myself, but of all of us, uh, yourself included, who create independently of that. That doesn't mean no sponsors, but that does mean that you weren't like, listen, we want to create this show, you know? And it's like, it's like when companies create bands, right? When like a record label creates a band. Some of them succeed, but for the most part, there's something off. You need a real group that came together in their garage playing music, right? I think. I don't know much about music. I'm, <laughs> I'm now at the end of my, my musical knowledge, but I believe in that. I believe in that authenticity, and I believe in organic creators. And we have great, great organic creators in Magic the Gathering, great people. Uh, I'm, again, just so proud to, to walk among them. Let's talk a bit about your voice. This is somewhat related to what we had just been discussing Every content creator has his or her or their own voice. First of all, is the professor Brian or is Brian the professor? Uh, the professor is, there's different levels of character. I like to think that if I'm doing a Talarian wins, that that is as close to Brian as you can get. Uh, it's Brian presenting in a formal way, his thoughts, as he might in a classroom. 
uh, or rather uh, with, with, with more ethos. Like, it's an issue I care about, and it's me talking about the issue I care about. If it's a instructional video, that too is just Brian, but like a little bit less ethos and more logos. And so if I'm doing how to double sleeve and why, or how to prevent your foils from curling, or a video like that, and it's it's that's me, but the, the person is a little bit gone, and I'm just, there's no jokes, there's no comedy sort of thing. And then I'd say there are videos where I'm playing the professor as a bit of a character, but that's me. That's like, if you're hanging out with me in my house and I'm joking with you, that's the way I joke. Self-deprecating... Uh, blusterful. I, I enjoy being blusterful. And I guess maybe my low self-esteem makes me find the idea of myself being arrogant uh, to be funny. So if I make jokes and videos about, well, how could I possibly be wrong? It's. I think that's hilarious. That's the ultimate because, irony, isn't it? Yes, because I look in the mirror and I go, you idiot. You're never right, are you? You know, That's one of my favorite. If you watched 30 Rock, there's a, a, a joke. Well, boy, it's the, 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 I remember when that show was new and now it's old. But there's a joke in 30 Rock where, where uh, Jack looks in the mirror and he builds himself up and he says you're confident you're secure you're gonna go out there people like you and you're gonna get them you're gonna take down this meeting and then liz walks in on him and she goes oh you do that too uh uh and then it flashes but it shows how she does it and she goes you idiot what what are you thinking why are you dressed like that you you are gonna go out into that party and and try your best not to be yourself stop sweating stop sweating stop sweating and she's being very disparaging to herself because she she has she he he thinks highly of himself and she thinks lowly of herself and the truth is is that i do I, I tend to be a little bit more Liz Lemony, but I think that the joke of acting like Jack is more funny because to me that's it's like Stephen Colbert, where the character is 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 not at all like how he views himself, and and so I'll make jokes about you know myself a lot in that way, and sometimes people are like, "Wow, what an arrogant guy!" and it's like, "No, that was a joke. It's called ha ha ha. What a buffoon that right. he would think that of himself." Uh, and I would say, like, in those videos, we, we've hit another layer of of parody where that's me in my living room joking with you. Like, if you were over right now, James, and we we're hanging out, I would just be like, well, me, do something wrong? Ha ha, let me get you a beer. You know, like like something like that. And and so those are videos like if I'm doing a top five list, I do a lot of jokes to try and keep it interesting or or, or, or just, you know, videos where I, I'm a bit more of a character. And then if I'm doing a full-on skit... That's the most that it's the professor. Like if I do a skit where like at the beginning of every dies to removal, me and Vince are interacting with each other and we're usually telling a joke about magic, but the character that I present is much more this cartoonish version or the office hours uh, videos. That's almost like what if the professor was real? And so that's mm -hmm. the most removed. And that's like, okay, well, if he's real, there's this idea that there's really a community college that teaches Magic the Gathering in a world where simultaneously Magic the Gathering is kind of real. Because in the skits, there's sometimes this element, like especially if a planeswalker is coming to visit me, there's an idea that magic is real, but also that there's a community college about the card game magic while simultaneously magic is real. And so that's just into the mouth of madness. And that's, that's me as this, as this, like, can you imagine if magic was real and you were just a community college professor? It's like, like, can you imagine if you were a planeswalker and you were Tybalt? It's like, like, and you were that big of a loser. And it's that kind of a premise. And then if we remove ourselves back 
and we say, okay, it's, 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 you know, my, my regular videos, that's called, this is what I'm producing in the classroom. And then we pull ourselves back and it's like, yeah, this is just me talking in a video. And so I'd say there are those three levels of, 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 of character, uh, that I do. Um, yeah. Is this something that you've honed or modified over time? If you go back to, you know, the early days or maybe year one of Tolarian Community College versus now, how do you think these characters or even exaggerations of Brian developed over time? I always liked the idea of the sad sack. Like if you ever watched Scrubs, there was the character of Ted, the lawyer. I like that. Or or Dr. Zoidberg on Futurama. And it's like the sad sack. They can't win and you pity them but they also can't get it together where where you'd argue that they don't deserve it. And so I, I like that kind of, I think that translates well to community college professor because you're just put upon, you're tired. I, I did one video about magic slang and everyone said, what are you supposed to be stoned? And I'm like, no, I'm tired. I'm overworked. I'm confused. I don't want to be here. That's called working at a community college sometimes. Yeah, maybe a little disgruntled, yes. Disgruntled. And I'm just like, oh, you know, like I'm just, I'm just a wreck. Gil on The Simpsons, that kind of character. I really like that character because I relate to it when you're, you're overworked. And that was the original thing. And, and the character kind of really became a bit more than that when I started doing office hours skits. And I learned a really good lesson because the first one was, was me really kind of making fun of the revamp to Nissa's character. And I had my friend Ashlyn Rose played Nissa and we're friends in real life. And she came over and did that. And we really laid into the character. And at the time, people were very unhappy with the, the redo of the character. So they kind of went along with it. But then when I did some videos with uh, uh, Christine Sprankle as Chandra and Liliana, I was also being a little critical of their characters and people didn't buy and they were a little upset. And some people were very upset uh, because I was basically, you know, going after the characters. And I realized in the Chandra one, someone made a comment and they said, I can't believe Chandra put up with that crap from the professor and didn't just smoke him. And I, I realized, <laughs> oh, my God. She should have done that. And and then by pure coincidence, we did have Liliana kill the professor or make a bargain for his soul or something at the end of the video. And I noticed in that one, people really liked the ending and did not think, even though I was being critical of Liliana, they didn't think they didn't seem to react as strongly as in the Chandra one, where they were like, oh man, you're you're really being unfair. And I realized that actually the joke should be on me. And that's where, in the office hours after those videos, the character himself became more blusterful, and and I could make some legitimate critiques or more like jokes at the characters. But I realized that at the end of the day, I needed to lose like that sad sack, and and it turned into the tradition of the in the office hours ones. I die at the end every end of every one. <laughs> that 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 someone that I'm gonna have to get killed, but because this planeswalker that I I just think back. Whoever made that comment just defined an, a giant aspect of my channel, which is that no. Liliana or Chandra or or whoever uh, is not going to take this crap from from the professor, and and at the end of the day, the professor is it should have watched his mouth, even if some of his, some of his concerns were legit. And so I make sure when I do office hours these days that I might have a few valid concerns, but it's mostly 
going to turn back on me and that it's more like I really am complaining too much and, and it's being too silly and, and it turns back on me. And I found that when I started doing that, people went from a large amount of the community weren't too happy with the early episodes uh, uh, to them really loving them. And, and so that turned into something that translated to a lot of the rest of the channel is I, I realized that it's okay for the joke to be on me. Mm. It's okay for you or the character to be the punchline and, yeah. and for you to embrace that, right? And I shouldn't present myself as like, I think there's a lot of people in Magic, largely, you know, pro players that you sometimes see like, right, these these Twitter flame wars where they're arguing about optimized sideboards or something. And neither one can ever say they're wrong. And And I understand that. They have to be right. But I think that my strength is that I'll start by saying I'm wrong. And like, I, I have a video on how to build a sealed constructed deck. And I start by saying, hey, listen, this is just a template to get you started. Uh, this is not how you succeed at sealed. If I knew how to be a good sealed constructed player, I wouldn't be working here. I'd be playing on the Pro Tour. And then I go, oh, God. You know, and it's like, it's this sad sort of like, you know, but it's true because I'm just doing an introductory video. It's just called, if you don't know how to do a sealed deck at all, I can show you in 10 to 15 minutes the basics, but you also have to realize that there's a, like, uh, then you can tune into limited resources and hear about quadrant theory. But I'm, I'm not doing a video about quadrant theory. You know, that's 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 a different type of thing. And, and if, you know, maybe LSV and Marshall need to be firm in, in their advanced limited studies, you know, and, and that makes a lot of sense. But for me, it's called, all right, let's go over sorting by converted mana cost and color. And let's start with the basics. And, and it's okay, because I'm just the professor of card sleeves. And, and, and I, I think that's a strength of mine, is being able to say, you're right. I don't know what I'm talking about. Let's turn now to my special guest, Jeff Hoagland, you know, and, and I brought in Emma Handy. I brought in Aaron Campbell. I brought, I'm so proud, you know, I brought in Caleb Derwald. I, I brought in, you know, uh, uh, all of these people who know what they're talking about and, and I can present them and their information in an entertaining way, you know? Tune in to hear, you know, Caleb D talk about modern shamans and watch an opening skit where he tries to get me to watch Star Wars. You know, it's fun. Uh, we can do that. Absolutely. Okay, so Prof, it sounds like a part of your your evolution as a YouTuber was taking a look at or listening to the feedback. In the case of the Chandra video, are there other ways in which you gather feedback or think about how you can do things differently like is it all coming from within or is it where are the other channels in which you can do that i can only operate off of what i know and so that means that i need to be attentive to other voices as best i can i read all my comments even though i no longer have the ability to respond to most of them i i, I can't i get literally hundreds of emails a day at this point and i can't personally reply to them but i, I know know that i do read them and even ones that maybe are a little nasty, I really do consider what's being said because I want to see those other perspectives and recognize where I can improve or better serve my audience. I wish that I had a better relationship with uh, companies that manufacture accessories, uh, a couple of them. 
I, I are have made themselves available to me, uh, which is great for asking questions like, what material is this? Uh, uh, is this true? Is this current? I, I like to have that information and to have that channel open. But a lot of them are like, we would rather just stay away from this person because even though he might give us an A, he might give us a fail, and we'd rather not get either than, than, than get both. Um, although I find that flawed because I'm going to review it anyway, so you might as well be there to clarify. Uh, and I really want that clarification. I start with the premise that I might be wrong, and I want to confirm whether or not I'm right or wrong. That goes to Wizards of the Coast as well, where I, I don't... A lot of people for a while thought that I had this very intense behind-the-scenes relationship with them, and nothing could be further from the truth. And I want to build on that because, you know, I do sometimes get messages from whether it's a, a card company or a, a, an accessory company or whatever saying, you, you got this wrong, and, and I'll issue corrections, and I'll say it right. But I, I do wish that I were able to have a better kind of working relationship information-wise. My opinions will always be my own. My evaluations will always be my own. But I would like to work towards at least getting the facts right. And uh, if I'm cut off in terms of communication, which I largely am, I, 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 it's like, okay, well, you know, you guys don't talk to me. And you don't say anything to me, and you don't work with me, and you don't say anything to me, including hello sometimes. And 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 so then you're going to be upset that six months ago I, I, I work working off of information that I had available to me. Maybe, like I said, this isn't how it is, and it is, or vice versa. I, I hate that, and I'd like to get that right. So I work, you know, I, I try and voice to both companies and Watsi that... Even though I'm a critic, I am on their side. I would rather give an A than a fail. I'm not looking for sensationalized videos, despite the fact some have come across that way. I'm always ready to hear that I'm wrong, and and I'm ready to have that discussion. But at the end of the day, I am serving a role as critic, which means I'm not going to just be saying, this is great, this is cool, I'm going to scrutinize. I am going to start from a position of that scrutiny, and I do have many opinions, all of them strong, but I'd at least like to get the facts right, and I would like everybody to succeed. I, I love magic. I want magic to succeed. I love magic accessories. I want them to be A quality. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they are, and I might not feel they are. And people might disagree with me in the comments, you know? Uh, but that's just the way it is. I think that dialogue is important because it's just the laws of the world. You can't have everything be great. It's just not possible yeah. with everybody trying to do everything. So in a lot of ways, it's also like YouTube too. You know, Not every content creator is going to have 500,000 subscribers. So I know you sort of alluded to this or hinted at it, but I want to hear from your own, in your own words, why do you think that they are not willing to work with you? Because you sort of implied that it might be because they don't want to get a negative rating, but then that doesn't really make sense because then they would want to work with you so that you would potentially get, they would potentially get on your good side. So why do you think that they're so hands-off in communicating with you? Um, I think that a large part of it is that there aren't a lot of people like me that they deal with regularly. 
So for example, how many product accessory review channels that are not part of like a large existing company like Consumer Reports or whatever, but like how many YouTubers are just doing authentic reviews? For the most part, they do unboxings and stuff, but there aren't a lot of like real critical review channels. There's some, but especially in, when it comes to magic, no one is really like like doing that. And so I think that the fact that I have a certain amount of singularity in this role. It means that they don't usually have to work with someone like me, and so maybe they don't recognize the value. And I think there's, I think I have value to offer, especially you know, uh, uh, I'm going to say Wizards of the Coast, but I don't know. I, I can see it too. You know, I, I, someone said to me, "Listen." Uh, uh, if there was a YouTube channel about you and every other video was talking about how you're, you're, you're not making good videos and every other video was talking about how you're making excellent videos, would you really love them and want to like collab with them? And I'd said, no, probably not. So that makes a lot of sense. I suppose what it comes down to is, is I totally get, by the way, and I don't feel like, gee, I wish wizards would invite me to stuff. I don't feel that at all. I understand it. Don't, put me don't i understand why wizards would not want to send traffic to a website to a youtube channel that says don't buy this product or that points out their their mistakes regularly i totally get that that makes a lot of sense i feel though that there is a lot of benefit i provide for the game and the company as well and that recognizing that means that there could at least be a more positive sort of relationship uh, uh, at least in terms of, I mean, geez, saying hello at a GP or something, you know, like just something like that. Yeah, I, I just, uh, it's, it's very, I've been, I'm very isolated and it would just be nice if it was like a, yeah, you know, he's a critic, but he does love the game and he does bring a lot of people into the game and he does get people excited about a lot of, of aspects of the game and he does promote positivity and, and he does a lot of other good things. And so, you know, maybe we don't need to act like he's a jerk because I don't want to be a jerk. And if I'm being a jerk, you can tell me I'm being a jerk and I, I will respond with, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I don't want that. Uh, that's not the intention. And I would work to not be that. And I guess that's the thing that bothers me is, is, is you know, I've, I've had some comments uh, you know, from various people, not just Watsi, but, you know, like, oh, you're just doing this to get everyone angry. No, I'm not. You're just doing this to get clear. I'm not. I, I sincerely am just expressing what is in my world when it comes to looking at Magic the Gathering. And maybe if you helped me have that world be a little bigger, then maybe we, maybe then it wouldn't seem so outrageous because my world's only as big as the people in it sometimes. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I, maybe this is a, a bad answer or something. I, I don't know. It's it's their business. It's their business. It's not mine. I, 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 I can only talk about how I interact with people and that I strive for that positivity. My understanding of why it was that you became a critic of magic products in the first place was so that you could help people spend their dollar on something that was worthwhile because i i'm trying to imagine not just you but putting myself in my own shoes which is obviously easy to do 
Like, obviously, I want to know what sleeves are better because I have $10 today and I want to spend it on something that is actually good as opposed to not good. So I, I think that's a really genuine place that you're coming from your product reviews. And I feel like your authenticity, that's part of your voice. Like the fact is when you put out something, people expect that the professor is going to be real. Like he's yeah. not going to, he's not going to bullshit or say something that he doesn't actually believe in. I think that's really important. That's something that you absolutely should hold on to. And I know you're holding on to that. That's, that's honestly how I feel about the channel. But have you ever been tempted to alter the message somehow and maybe thinking that it could be better somehow for you or your connections to various entities? Has that ever, has that temptation ever crossed your mind? Definitely not in terms of anything financially, because again, my fi my money comes from my Patreon, so my right. uh, uh, loyalty, uh, like I don't think, it's a funny thing too, but like, so it's very expensive to have a channel of my size running with the level of production and quality of production that it does. Like, again, we went over that cost of equipment, cost of occasionally working with other people, cost of rent. There is a big amount that needs to come in every month to, to keep it not just me in my basement, you know, on a webcam. Uh, uh, it's expensive. And uh, I think a lot of companies, I've had a few companies that maybe have offered a couple bucks like, oh, maybe you could do a, a, a more like a, a sponsored video for our, you know, product and we'll give you a hundred dollars. And it's like, that is not even my electric bill friends. And, and, and like, so my loyalty is to my, 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 my viewers, my viewers keep my channel going and my viewers, you know, are who pay me. And I don't think a lot of places can afford what would need to be done to quote unquote buy me. Uh, not that I would sell, but if you were to say, well, what, what level of offer of like the evil, you know, like, 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 let's just make up a company name like Yogmoth, you know, deck boxes, Yogmoth deck boxes comes and wants to buy the professor and, 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 you know, to get buy good grades. And it's like, do you realize Yogmoth's deck boxes, how, much money would be involved in that because of my support from the community. And even then I wouldn't do it because I don't want to live with myself doing that. Now, as towards like things like, you know, Wizards of the Coast in particular, um, I've been trying very hard to have, you know, like a respectful relationship with them where I would like to, you know, like... <sighs> I don't really, it's, it's hard to describe like to, I don't want to say give them the benefit of the doubt. Cause that's actually kind of bitten me in the rear end a few times when I did give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, uh, you know, to, I'm going to be honest with you to answer your question. No, I, I I'm me. There's nothing I can do. Th there's nothing I can do and, and there's nothing they can give me anyway. I, I, I get better traction than them. I'm sorry. And, 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 it's, it's, they're going to have to realize I'm on their side in the long run and that I can do and reach people in the community that they cannot. And that it's, it's going to have to be on my terms or nothing. And that it's, it's better. I don't know. Maybe it just was not meant to be. Maybe it just wasn't meant to be. And it doesn't need to be. Because I, it, it's, 
I love the game and and I love the community and and I do like the company too uh, uh, but I can't we're not compatible in terms of working together and anything beyond maybe me getting a preview card. I mean, you know, I, I would love to be able to get an evaluation sample of a booster pack, you know, or, or a, well, not a booster pack, but of a, like, like the Brawl decks come out. Gee, it would sure be great if I could get an evaluation sample. It would not affect my review one bit, but it would be convenient, but I can't do that. Yeah, it would feel good if they sent me a Christmas card. They don't do that. Uh, uh, I'm not on that list, and I won't be. And and the person who runs that list, I, I don't know. I don't want to get in. I don't even want to. It's not even about that. I don't deserve that. And I don't, I, they don't owe me any of that. And I they don't owe me a thing. And I, I just want them to make the best game they can and, and uh, uh, for us to continue playing it because I love Magic the Gathering. And I'm sorry if that was a stammery answer. To answer your question, no. It, it's I am who I am and I've got to be me. I have to be. That's all I have. Let's say that tomorrow they come to you and they say, Prof, we want you to we want to consult with you for one of our new products. Maybe <laughs> it's a new holiday bundle or something. Right. How would you respond to that? I I mean like I I believe that that makes a lot of sense. I'm actually like I'm I'm kind of surprised that as quote unquote the product guy, that they were they've never said like, well, what would make this good for you? Maybe my videos are just so amazing that uh, uh, I've elaborated on what I expect a proper master's product to be and they don't need to ask me. But uh, uh, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know why they don't want to just hear it even if they disagree. Um, but that's their business. They think I, I, I have had a few conversations casually, and I do know that they think I'm wrong about most things, uh, many things, and that's their prerogative. So they don't want to hear from me because I think they already know what I think. I want, I want reprints that are unrealistic for product. I want prices that are unrealistically low. I don't think they're unrealistic, but they do. They and and so I'm not business savvy in terms of, you know, I think the pack should be $4 and not 10 or 24 in the case of collector boosters. I think the packs should have more reprints, not fewer. But, you know, I, I think that the, the, the brawled commanders should have been in the, the main set so that anyone could get them instead of exclusive to a limited print run product and then standard legal. So when Corvald becomes something you play in standard, you can only get it through the $24 collector boosters or the out-of-print sold-out brawl things. I think the booster pack should have that in it. I am wrong in this as far as their perspective goes, and they are entitled to their perspective. I, If they came to me and said, would you consult? I'd consult. I'd disclose it when I reviewed the product. I, I, I don't know. Like, like I also don't know that that consult means they'd listen to a word I had to say. There's definitely been cases of that where they consult with players for organized play, just to use a, an orthogonal example, perhaps. Yeah, so there's no guarantee of that. But I'm just, the question yeah. is, if they came to you with an offer like that, if there was a, somehow a change of heart, would that be something that you would consider? I'd consider it an honor. I love Magic the Gathering. I, 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 I would not consider it a free pass on the final product. I would have to say that. I'd have to say, look, I can come in here 
and list off 10 things and you can take five of them and I might still not like the final product and you have to understand that. And, and you have to understand that this is not you buying a grade. I will not go up there and consult on a product and even be listened to partially and then say, oh, turns out this is amazing when I don't feel that. I will always say how I feel. Always. Because that's what my brand is. But I, I, if they said we'd still like to hear from you and maybe take some of your advice... I, I would be honored, but I do not expect that. I would be happy if they said hi, <laughs> personally. But Let's start with hi, right? That would be let's good. Let's start with hi. A few people say hi, but uh, just a few. Prof, what's the one wish, what's the one thing that you wish could improve for Magic the Gathering as a product? I wish very much that we could incorporate into our mentality that Magic the Gathering can have a digital presence and a paper presence and that these two aspects need not be exclusionary. I do not think that Arena should be the end-all be-all of Magic, nor do I think that Paper Magic should be the only way to experience the game. And I think that a lot of times, both from the company's perspective and also the player base's perspective, we view things as we, we can only have one and not the other. And I actually think that the two go together really nicely in an ecosystem. And I'd love bridges to be built between them. Redemption codes and paper product, uh, uh, promos that you get on Magic Arena by going into your local game store and so forth and so on. And I feel that there's a lot of talk about, well, can paper exist with digital? Can digital ever beat paper? You can't play commander on digital. Does that mean digital is just inferior? It does things differently. And I believe they both can exist, but that we're at a bit of a, I don't want to say crisis point, but definitely a point of intensity where a lot of people, and I believe this does carry over to the company itself, feel that it kind of has to be one or the other and that we can't support both and have both flourish. And I, I wish very much to adopt the idea of let's make both flourish in their own way. That sounds very reasonable. Are you concerned about the future of the game at all? No, I'm not concerned about the future of the game in terms of is Magic the Gathering going to die? That is not going to happen. That'll probably never happen in our lifetimes. I, I, I on it, and I mean that too. That's not an exaggeration. Magic is in no danger of going away. However, Magic is like all of us changing every day. You are not the same person tomorrow as you uh, were, were yesterday, and Magic is going through changes as well. I have concerns about some of those changes. Uh, I feel that there are aspects to those changes that are pulling away from parts of the game that I think have great value and have been established over the decades. Things like organized play, things like local game stores, things like uh, 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 an emphasis on paper support. And I feel that digital is the hot new thing and is maybe getting all of the attention from corporate right now 
in many ways, or a vast majority. And I am concerned that that might be a change that I'm not in favor of, that I think it needs to be more balanced. And there's that word again, more organic, where digital can exist, but in coordination and conjunction with an awareness that no one else makes a physical card game like Magic the Gathering. And that's not something you want to walk away from or or just let to become an oddity. And that a lot of people make digital games, but there's only one Magic the Gathering in paper. And that's worthy of more attention than maybe it's currently getting. So you're a long-term optimist in the sense that Magic will always be around, but it's just that short-term, you're concerned about it going through a phase where decisions may not be made optimally to preserve the community or paper aspects of the game. Is that the right understanding? Yes, I think that's a fair way to put it. Or where at the very least the decisions being made are are only with extreme care towards digital and extreme interest towards digital and that paper is being put to the side. Uh, in, not Again, not going out of business, not they're stopping, but just like what we're interested in right now is digital and the idea of a local game store or a Grand Prix or, or a, a, a paper coverage or paper organized play is all being thought of as that's a thing of the that's that's old and and that's not necessarily a priority. It's still there, but it's it's not being prioritized. And I feel that that's a mistake. I feel that 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 the success of arena and prioritizing arena need not also mean well paper is just old and analog. I feel there's a lot of value in paper. <laughs> I feel there's a lot of, of reason why GP coverage is important even in the age of Arena. I feel there's a lot of reason why local game stores are important even in the age of Amazon. And I, I think that in some ways, the explosive sales and huge profits of Arena and digital sales or uh, direct online sales like Secret Layer, that succeeds because of the small-time local game store. I firmly believe that. And that it's kind of like if you kill a mosquito, the eagle might die. Because if there aren't mosquitoes for the lizards to eat, then there isn't anything for the rats to eat, and then there isn't anything for the eagle to eat. And, and I believe that you might look at the local game store and say, well, look, Amazon is selling a million units, and this local game store sold 25. And I'd say that local game store still plays a very important role in the ecosystem. And you don't need to just say, that's done. It's a thing of the past. Let's walk away. But rather, no, 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 no. We must still, let's think about what's a nice thing we're going to do to help support local game stores as well as sell Secret Layer. The two need not be exclusionary. And I think Secret Layer sells well because of things like our past GP coverage and why it should return. I think that's sort of a microcosm of life in general is that it's very easy to conflate things and to, or to basically analyze things. Maybe, maybe I guess conflation is one danger, but analyzing things in a vacuum can be dangerous because you're not taking into account a lot of factors that have happened 
in the past, right? Like the fact is maybe some of these things that just happened, they may be conflated as as being perceived as successful, even though it took decades of development to and player base to to make that successful, right? Like what you said about Secret Lair, um, I just hope that whoever is making the decisions and also analyzing decisions for the next decisions, they're not just looking at things like, okay, this happened this month in 2019, therefore we're going to keep doing it because of, like there, there needs to be a more nuanced analysis of everything is what I feel yeah. is perhaps missing in, in the world as a whole, not just this game, you know? I think that there's sometimes a benefit to aspects of your business that maybe perform modestly instead of exceptionally why you still pursue them like i do videos sometimes i do videos that get a hundred thousand views and videos that get fifty thousand views i think it would be detrimental to my business to say all right i'm not doing these videos that get fifty thousand views anymore i'll only do the videos that get a hundred thousand views because there are people who come here to the channel for those 50,000 view videos and enjoy them and are loyal based on what that brings. And maybe they're a part of that 100,000 view. And I stopped doing the 50,000 view videos and maybe they're like, oh, I really liked that series. And then suddenly the 100,000 view videos are only getting 75,000 views. And it's like, well, what happened there? Well, there was a benefit to that. Or for example, there are videos like, listen, when I have, you can look at, uh, uh, there's a video on my channel called the, the Commander Council where I had three cosplayers come on dressed up as, as, as commanders and we did a whole production number. That cost a lot of money. That video made a booster box in ad revenue, and it cost me more than a case of booster boxes to produce. I had to pay for costumes. I had to fly people out. I had to pay for their time. It was a very expensive video, and it did not recoup the money that it made. But I believe that that video makes my channel stronger and more successful by having it on there. And that when I do a video where I turn on the camera and I just rant about you know, Ultimate Masters being too expensive. Uh, that that video didn't cost me anything to make. I didn't even have product I showed. I just turned on the camera and, well, I didn't just rant. I wrote a script. It cost me my time, but it didn't cost me any money in product or, or very much in editing. It's a commentary video. That commentary video, therefore, is very profitable because then when that makes a booster box, that's a, that's a full-on free booster box of money that that made. Woo, great cost me zero, got a booster box in, in ad revenue for that video. And and so then I look at the other one, it's like, this cost me more than a case to make this video. I'm using magic terminology, by the way, because YouTube does not like you saying the actual numbers, otherwise I would. But you all know that this is translating what the numbers are. So, so but I believe that the video where I'm complaining about Ultimate Master's pricing succeeds in part because my channel has content on it of substance such as the Commander Council video, such as the podcast where I'm talking with Vince. I had to fly Vince out from the UK. I'm not making any money off of that video. I'm losing money, but I want that on my channel. And uh, uh, I think that that's the mentality that with local game stores, well, maybe maybe if we say local game stores are only making $4 when they sell a booster box, maybe we should look into to letting them have it for a little bit less. They're only selling a dozen of them a season anyway. We're selling a million on Amazon, but we're selling them on Amazon for 100 bucks each. And then we send them to a local game store for $86. So they make 14 bucks 
minus all their fees and all this other stuff when they sell a booster box. So maybe it's like, well, maybe we need to offer it to a local game store for less so that they can make more and stay in business because that's better for us as this giant company that's making money hand over fist and that maybe the making the money hand over fist is connected to that local game store in a significant enough way that that is leading to those Amazon sales. And I believe that's true about my channel. And I do believe with no business training, that's true about Magic the Gathering. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong because I'm just a, I'm just a English major who taught at community college. And I just, I just ended up with a, a, a getting lucky with my channel and, and such, but that's my belief. That's my belief. No, that's that's totally valid. I mean, there's a sort of uh, a nuance that's needed because on one extreme, you have a corporation saying, hashtag capitalism, these guys don't get it. On the other extreme, you have the people who are not trained in business saying, well, here's the here's the bad corporation, like making all decisions based on dollars and cents. I feel like there needs to be some moderate argument that takes into account both ends of the spectrum you know i feel like it's it's very hard to do that in in this day and age for for any topic i don't have an answer it just it's just it it just seems like that's something we have to strive for i just don't know how we're going to be able to do it i it's not up to us it's up to wizards of the coast the only way it's up to us is in voicing uh to wizards of the coast your beliefs and i would also say as i've always said as i say in most of my videos by supporting your local game store when you can when it is reasonable if you have an unreasonable local game store then don't do that but if you do have a cool <laughs> find a reasonable store yes. <laughs> i always say that yeah well like I, I i say at the end of my videos you know when you can spend your money where you spend time playing magic and that's at your local game store. And then someone says, my local game store, they're jerks. And I'm like, well, then don't spend your money there. Like, I'm talking about when they're not don't jerks. Don't spend your money and don't spend your time there, right? Right. Uh, uh, but if you do have a cool local game store, hey, maybe maybe it's, maybe it's you're buying you know Dominion on Amazon and, and it's easy to have it delivered to your door, but it's the same price at your local game store and you can go down and buy it there. Or maybe it's even a couple bucks more. Maybe it's 25 bucks on Amazon, but 30 at your local game store. And maybe if it's not a hardship, maybe you do go down there and buy it. That way, there's a place to sit and play it on board game night. Maybe. Now, listen, and if it's $50, $60 at your local game store and $20 on Amazon, obviously, you do have to attend to yourself and your priorities. But I'm talking about when it is reasonable and where it is, is, is being like, yeah, I make sure to support them. I go down, I pick up my card sleeves at the counter, things like that. I'm, I'm going to, you know, pick up my foil guild gate uh, for my deck over at the, the, the game store, even though it's $0.50 cents instead of 30 because that extra $0.20 cents is giving me a place to pre-release and stuff. Uh, uh, and... I think that's the that's even bigger because Wizards is going to do what they're going to do, and they aren't consulting with me, and I don't think that they will, and 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 I just don't, and and that's fine. So you consult with your local game store by going in and spending your money where you spend your time, and and let them know that, and that's what I say. You know, go 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 show them your support. Post about events on your Facebook group or on Twitter so that people know about it. You know, let, leave a good Yelp review and talk about when events are held and stuff in that review so a, a new person can find the place better. That sort of stuff goes a long way, too. On that note, Prof, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today and spending your time with me. I felt like we went through a wide range of things. Uh, I, I felt like I got a very 
good sense of what's on your mind. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as well. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute honor. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans and Magic. To get more information about the show and to join the mailing list, please visit humansandmagic.com. And don't forget, the Humans and Magic book is now available on Amazon for both paperback and Kindle. We'll see you next time.